That'll preach. My boy's in the middle right here, archaeologist and police officer. That's impressive. That's, that's like monk type stuff. That's like detective. I mean, that'll serve you well. You're going to have a TV show, you know, sooner or later. Give it a couple, couple years. Um, welcome to Mercy Hill. My name is Chris Cook. I'm the lead pastor of Embassy Church, which is in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, similar salt network. Yeah, we can yelp for that. I like a little feedback. Okay. Um, and so if you're not used to that, I'm going to ask for that. Alex Snyder. Love that guy. Haven't seen that guy in about two years. Good to see you, buddy. Um, but it is a absolute privilege to be here with you. Um, I want to share a little bit about myself and kind of connect some dots because um, I actually, I have a lot of connection to Mercy Hill, even though I've never been here. Um, like Ernie said, I'm his buddy. Um, I'd rather say best friend, you know, but he didn't go there for some reason. Uh, it gets weird like that. You get older, move away, don't see each other as much, and you don't know how to, to work that out. But, but me and Ernie um, have been the best of friends since about junior high. Uh, and we actually both, be, both became believers around the same time and were discipled um, as young men by the same gentleman uh, who was the father, or is the father, of Timmy Lopez. So uh, he was our youth pastor growing up. And so just the connections to this church, uh, to Ernie, to Laura. I knew Laura uh, when she was Laura Gherkin um, way back at LSU. Uh, so just the, the relational connections to this church, not just through Timmy, and Ernie, but so many of the other people that are here that maybe came from uh, Louisiana to be a part of this launch team that came up through the refuge. We got LSU fans. I see purple and gold out there. Uh, can I say I'm a big Bengals fan, by the way? Um, <laughs> who dat, who day, it's all the same thing. That's what the Saints fans say, who dat. Um, but uh, big, big Joe Burrow fan, which it kind of sounds weird. Joe Burrow's what, 25? I'm a 34-year-old man, so I'm a fan of a 25-year-old man. I don't know. It just kind of, it can be kind of creepy. Um, anyway, big Jamar Chase fan, just because I, I love the Tigers, so I'm definitely rooting for the, 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 the real Bengals. Yeah, the Bayou Bengals, the real Bengals. Um, and definitely not rooting for the team that, that paid a million and billions and crazy amounts of money to, to buy a team and play in L.A. Um, so, I mean, they've leveraged everything to win the Super Bowl, and I hope they lose it. Um, so, anyway, um, I have a dark heart. Um, I, I, I do want to share a couple cool stories because um, whether or not you know it or not, um, you are connected to Embassy uh, in a lot of ways. Like Ernie said, we're going to be sending uh, students together this summer to go share the gospel in East Asia. That's an easier way to do that, you know, just all encompassing, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, love you, buddy. Um, we, we've done retreats together, things like that, but, but even in our launch um, at, at IU, we're, we launched in 2020, May of, or, or March of 2020, we're actually in Bloomington when the world shut down. Um, I don't know if y'all remember that, like, like hazmat suits and like everything was going on in like Seattle, Washington. It was like, it is here on the continent, you know, and then people just like lost their minds. Yeah, like we were about to launch our church then, and uh, we were actually in Bloomington, um, with about 75, Alex actually might have been there. We were, Alex was on our launch team, real good, dude. Um, and then he, <laughs> he changed church plants. Um, but we, we had about 75 people on our launch team in Bloomington, and the world, like, shut down. And um, I remember, you know, uh, I'm married and have, have three beautiful daughters, um, and my wife, Allie, and I were talking about, you know, man, is this going to happen? Are we going to plant our church in, in 2020? Because... We've been dreaming about it, like a two-year runway and just like building all to it. And then who to thunk? A, a pandemic, right? Um, God thunk. 
And she goes, how many people do you think are going to actually move to Bloomington? And I was like, 10. Like, I think 10 people. And by the grace of God, 40 people still came. 45 people still came. And, and what God's done in, in Bloomington really has been a joy and been amazing. Um, and I share those stories to say, like, man, we're, we're connected. We're doing the same thing. I'm super proud of y'all, um, what y'all have done. Just being able to put my eyes on this and getting to see y'all city. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Uh, keep it up. Keep going at it. Um, I, I share it also to say um, a lot of those people who moved with us, what we talked about a lot about before we moved um, as a launch team was, was work. We talked a lot about where you're going to spend, not your Sunday, but your, your every day. You know, uh, somebody said in there, 75% of your day is, is at your work. And so we talked a lot about what does it look like to let the mission of God drive your future? What does it look like to, to not just follow family, friends, and familiar, but to, to go and be a part of something bigger than yourself and, and build the kingdom of God and, and go get a job in a new city, in a new place, and meet new people? And I'll tell you this, um, as much as we talked about before launch, we didn't talk about it enough. Um, because a lot of those people that moved, um, and maybe you're in this space or this place, um, when the pandemic hit, they couldn't get the job they wanted, which is why Alex is here, right? Um, they couldn't get the job they wanted, and so some still came, and they got the job they really didn't kind of want, but it was the only one they could get, right? And it's been a hard go. And man, their nine to five, their Monday through Friday is tough. And so what I've loved to do as a pastor um, with, with our church is really um, push them into the gospel because of the resources that it affords us um, and really understanding how to spend the best hours of our day in the workplace. Like how do we not just be Sunday Christians and, and see Christianity as something that we just go to for a couple hours from 10 to 12, but, but how do we go out and be the church after church is over Monday through Friday? How in, in our most just formational, funda- you know, foundational relationships, do we live out this thing called Christianity? And I think the gospel has the resources for us. And so we're going to look at um, this passage in Ephesians. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn there in chapter 6. Um, but I want to ask a, a handful of just questions, kind of like a tetherball going around that idea. Um, where does God fit in the place where you spend the most of your week? Where does God fit in the relationships that you actually spend the most of your time with? You know, where does God fit in the responsibilities that, that are on your mind when you lay your head down and when you wake back up? Like, where does God fit in all that? I think it's easy for us as, as Christians to kind of grasp the, okay, I'm, I'm following Jesus, and we almost bifurcate our lives into kind of to spiritual, you know, realm over here. We got these kind of Christianese things, but like the work day, like how does God fit in that? Like, can I bring Jesus to work? And the short answer is, is yes. So, so how does our Christian identity inform our occupation? How does gospel transform our work? All right, so uh, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter six. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, typically contents is a, a friendly neighbor asking for directions. Um, but I'm gonna carry on in this kind of look at this life series, which I love, by the way, that you're doing. Um, so practical. Um, and so uh, let me read for us. And then I actually wanna address a couple elephants in the text because uh, you'll actually see them in the first two words. All right, so this is Ephesians uh, chapter six, and I'm gonna read from verses five all the way through nine. It says, slaves, obey your human masters hmm? um, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude, as to the Lord, not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he'll receive back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. 
without threatening them because you know that their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. Now, yes, I understand what we're reading um, and I understand the, the elephants in the text. And so I wanna address them um, real quickly because if not, we really can't understand this text how it's intended, right? We can't do justice to it. And so I wanna talk about um, just slavery and I wanna talk about obedience. Um, Ernie's talked about this a little bit. Um, this is the elephant in the context of this passage, all right? Um, this sermon series going through uh, life, what does it look like to, to work out this mutual submission to one another as Christians, right? This ethic of, of submit to one another as if you're submitting to Christ. What does that look like? Well, Paul, this older church planner that kind of has a little gray in his beard, maybe like me or Ernie, but maybe a little more, um, plants this church kind of like this uh, in Ephesus. And in the most beautiful way, he paints the picture of the gospel in the first three chapters of Ephesians and then gives the practical application in the back half. Okay, and then little by little, he kind of works through what does submission look like. And I just want to read a quote um, because I, I think if you're new to the Bible um, and maybe this is the first time you've come or you've been coming for a couple weeks and you're like, man, like you're reading a passage about slavery, you're reading a passage about obedience, like this is just kind of strange. And I thought you were talking about work. Um, I want to read a, 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 an awesome quote from John Stott that kind of frames up the idea of authority in the Bible and what it really is. Okay, so track with me. This is John Stott. Uh, he's a theologian pastor over in the UK. Uh, and he says this, he says, authority in the biblical usage is not a synonym for tyranny. All right, so authority is not a synonym for tyranny. All those who occupy positions of authority in society are responsible both to the God who has entrusted it to them and to the person or persons whose benefit they have been given it. In a word, the biblical concept of authority spells out not tyranny, but responsibility. Okay, so I just want to address the elephant in the context as we talk about just power dynamics and authority because, man, we've all seen power be abused. We've all seen it go wrong, right? We, we've maybe experienced it um, in, in if you got married people in here and you've got some brokenness in your marriage or you watched a marriage that, that just had a lot of brokenness in it or you experienced it in kind of familial dynamics with a parent or even a work relationship. If your boss is just terrible, Okay, there's just abuse of power, there's abuse of authority, there's just sin, we live in a broken world. Um, the Bible is clear that authority comes with responsibility. And the greater the authority, the greater responsibility. So this isn't a license for tyranny, okay? Um, and let me just speak to the elephant in the text, which is slavery, all right? What I want you to see in this text, before we kind of dig into it, is not what the text doesn't say, but who it says it to, all right, track with me. Not what the text doesn't say, but who it says it to. A lot of times we can, we can see the Bible as this kind of like rule book that you want to say like what's right and good and true about everything. And you come to it and you almost want like, you want statements about the institution of slavery in here, don't you? You want to just open it up and just see, all right, Paul, why don't you just like cut the legs under, uh, out from underneath slavery and just go, man, this is wrong, okay? And, and sadly, that's not what you see there. But I think what you do see here is actually way more empowering, okay? Because of who Paul is talking to. Notice who he's addressing. And you see this all the way through this whole passage, but Paul actually addresses slaves, okay? In the Greco-Roman world, this letter, when first received, would have been absolutely radical, okay? Because Paul's actually addressing slaves as equals. He's not just talking to white patriarchal dudes that are leading some church. He's talking to wives, who didn't have position in Greco-Roman society. He's talking to children who didn't have position in Greco-Roman society. He's talking to bond servants and slaves who didn't have position in Greco-Roman society, and he's talking to them as equals, right? So he's pulling them up. 
So I want us to just understand the passage in light of like what it is and appreciate it for what it is. Um, and, and, and what it's doing ultimately um, is putting slave and master on the same plane, okay? And that's actually empowering. The least empowering thing Paul could have done here is just talk 30,000 feet about this institution that's just an injustice, but not really help somebody who can't get out of their circumstance, make the most of it. Who can't change the tune that they're playing or can't change the, the, the instrument, right? But he can help them change the tune. Does that make sense? And so if I can translate it for us, um, you might be in a job that you absolutely hate. You might have a boss that, that you just don't like. The worst thing I can do is stand on this stage and go, man, that sucks. That's the worst. Yeah, okay. Right? Or, or just like, man, bad bosses, they shouldn't exist. They, 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 they shouldn't be bosses. Right? I want to give us, and I think Paul wants to give us, um, the resources very practically to where we're at, you know, how do we allow the gospel to challenge the way that we relate to authority and, and in the workplace? And how do we, we challenge, how do we allow it to challenge the way that we engage in the most just basic part of our week, Monday through Friday, nine to five. Okay. So are you tracking with me? I just want to address some, some elephants in the text um, before we kind of jump into it and, and, and read it um, in light of this kind of employee boss dynamic that I want to. So uh, let me read it for us again, but kind of change the terms and, and, and take the principle, okay? Slaves, obey your human master, verse five, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ, okay? So as an employee, serve your boss with the highest integrity like you're working for Christ, okay? Serve your boss with the highest integrity like you're working for Christ, Verse six, as an employee, okay, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, okay? So serve your boss with the greatest effort, all right? So first Paul goes at integrity, then he goes at effort. And again, he ties on the same kind of motivation, like you're working for Christ. And then verse six, okay? Do God's will from your heart. As an employee, serve your boss with the best attitude, as to the Lord, not to people. And then he closes out this kind of first section saying, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he'll receive back from the Lord, all right? Because the Lord rewards the good you do. So this first section, Paul addresses, just like he starts with wives, he starts with children, he starts with bond servants, and he's starting with the people that are under authority, right? So he, he would be speaking to us in modern day, Cincinnati, 21st century, like 2022, right? going, hey, employees, this is how you should work. This is how the gospel, when it gets in you as a Christian, starts to work itself out. There's no bifurcation of your Christian life and the rest of your life, all right? The gospel gets in us, it roots in us, and it changes everything about us, okay? And this is what it should look like. It should look like a complete change in your integrity, in your effort, and in your attitude. Okay, this is what, like, Fortune 500 companies, what do y'all have here? Y'all have, Ernie was telling me, you got like Procter & Gamble, you got these big companies. This is what they pay millions of dollars to bring like teams of people in and they just say like just very broad platitudes to their entire workforce and then they kind of put them on posters and they call them values, you know? And it's like the key Procter & Gamble employee will have a great attitude, a lot of effort and high integrity, right? And it's like, okay, that's, that's not really motivating, Right? 
What's motivating here is all of this is tied to a greater reality. And I don't know if you saw the pattern running through here, but all of it is tied to you being under new management. You working for your boss as if you're working for Christ. All right, so track with me here. The dynamic and the relationship in your working relationship, it's not just between you and your upline. Now it's a triangle. Christ is brought into that. Okay, and so that is now our new motivation for how we're working. And that should challenge us. That should change us. I'll bring in a marriage example, and this is dangerous. My wife's sitting in the front row. But um, if you go back a couple weeks to what Ernie was talking about, um, again, similarly in this whole passage, talking about mutual submission to one another, talking about wives and husbands. Believe it or not, and my wife is lovely. Uh, Allison, we married 10 years. Again, three little kids, uh, seven, six, three and a half, something around there. Nailed it, killed it. Um, I, I'm in the blur years. Like, I don't, I know, I'm not gonna have memories from these years. Like, she has memories. I don't have any memories from these years with little kids. Like, it just all blurs together. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, as lovely as my wife is, there is times when it's really hard to love her. It's true. No, you can laugh at it. I know, it's shocking. It's shocking. There's times when it's really hard to love my wife. But the command here, and, and again, how Paul's working out this, this mutual submission to one another out of reverence, out of just deference and respect for Christ, who himself didn't count equality, God was something to be grasped, but he submitted himself to the Father. All right, out of reverence to that dude doing that thing and coming to earth and giving his life as a sacrificionary substitute for you and me, I need to submit myself to, to Allison and love her. Now, the beautiful thing about marriage is, man, we didn't just covenant to one another. There's not just the dynamic between me and Allie. There's a triangular dynamic where God's brought into that. Christ is brought into that. And so very literally, there's times where I'm praying, like I'm, we're, we might get in a tough, a tough, a tiff, a tiff, a tough tiff. Um, some people call it fights. We try not to. We don't live in reality. It's a fight. And, and what I'm doing in that moment is I'm going like, man, this is not easy. And, and Allison is not very lovable right now. But my motivation, if it's just tethered to her being lovable, it breaks down. But if I believe the commands of scripture and just what Paul's imploring me, he's going, man, you need to love Christ like Christ loved the church. You need to bring him into that dynamic. And so my motivation to start loving Allison is actually my love for Christ, right? And so, so in a similar fashion, when it comes to your work relationships and man, you're like, man, I don't like the company I'm working for. I don't like the boss I'm working for. It don't matter. It don't matter, right? Because you're supposed to serve like you're working for Christ. You're supposed to work with high integrity like you're working for Christ. You're supposed to work with incredible effort like you're working for Christ. You're supposed to work with an incredible attitude like you're working for Christ, right? You're under new management. Are you tracking with me with that, that, that visual? Have you ever been to a restaurant that's under new management, You've, Right? What is the sign saying? It says under new management. What does it, what does it really mean? No, it, no, 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 no. It means something worse than that. Let's, let's not be gracious. It means this was a terrible business. You stopped patroning this business. You stopped giving your money to this business because it was terribly run. And now we are running it differently. So it, its outputs should look different, right? It, it should be better. When you become a Christian, you're under new management and the under new management sign gets hung on, on your chest and you should work differently. 
Your Monday through your Friday, your nine to five should look differently. Right? And if it doesn't, then the implications of the gospel haven't worked itself out all the way into your person. Like, we got to hear that. When you look at the book of Ephesians, and this is the beautiful piece of it, six chapters, the first three chapters are theology. It's the gospel. The last three chapters are praxis. It's all the implications of the gospel. And so Paul's just working all this out, and, and, and it almost seems cumbersome. He's just teasing out and going, hey, man, let me play this out and how we work out as a Christian community, and we submit to one another. We don't insist upon our own rights, and we humbly just take the lowest place. And shoot, man, that's really hard in these authority dynamics in the home because husband and wife, this is where this gets cross and challenging. You know, parents, kids, this is where it gets cross and challenging. Slaves and masters, this is where it gets cross and challenging. And he's looking at both of them, slaves and masters, employees, employers, and going, when you work, you work as if you're working for a new, uh, a higher authority. You're under new management, right? And so it, it challenges, it challenges what we're doing in the best hours of our day. Um, y- y'all have heard the, the, the laying bricks example? No, yes. That doesn't give you, I don't even know why I asked that question. It doesn't even give you any context. I'll give you the laying bricks example um, and try and connect the dots. Uh, we're equal opportunity here, so it's not men laying bricks, it's women. How about that? There's three women laying bricks, even though like 99% of bricklayers are men. But anyway, you know, title nine that. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm off. I'm off track, back on. It's the light. The light's got me. You got three women laying bricks. You, you, walk, to, you walk up to one track with me. This is going somewhere. You, got, you walk up to the first one, and you ask her what she's doing. She says, I'm laying bricks, right? And so, great. Hey, I hope you're working with great effort. Lots of integrity. The output's there, right? But the, you're, you're, you're laying them maybe in an orderly line. You're working with some speed, throwing some mortar in there, right? It's not sloppy. It's not messy. You're walking down the line, and the second female is, is laying bricks. You ask her what she's doing. She says, I'm building a wall. Now, naturally, what you can expect there is like, she's probably working a little harder. Yeah, you would think. She's got a bigger picture for what she's doing, right? There's a little more like effort going into there, a better attitude going into there, okay? And so you just keep going on and you get to the third brick layer, layer and you ask her what she's doing. She says, I'm building the Sistine Chapel. Like, wouldn't you expect different output from all three of those ladies? It's like, I'm laying bricks. That's not very motivating, you know? I'm building a wall. Okay, like, okay, we got this. We, like, that's gonna look a little better. Again, attitude, effort, all that kind of stuff. I'm building the Sistine Chapel. I mean, man, there's some motivation there. Here's my point. When the truth of the gospel gets in you as a Christian, and you really, really take this seriously, right? It's not just words on the page, and I was talking about just, the, 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 the reality that we need to apply the word of God so we walk out of here different and, and transform us. If you really believed that your upline on your job description was Christ, it would show in your output, right? If you, if you took the name of your boss or whatever it was, and it's like reports to, and it was Christ, are you telling me you're working the same way tomorrow when you go to work? Are you telling me you're showing up seven minutes late because you just don't care and you don't get paid enough? Right? Are you telling me you're walking out the door at 4.53 because you just kind of want to make a statement, you know, right? What Paul's telling, again, the dynamics here, he's telling bond servants this. Like, I mean, even more so, you know, in our current day of employment. He's telling bond servants this, and, it, and what I want you to see is it's freeing for them. 
in a sense that it, it empowers them when they can't change anything else of their circumstance. Okay? It's like, man, I'm in this. I can control the way I approach my work and who I do it for. I can't change my instrument. I can't even change the other four strings on it. If I'm playing a guitar, I can pluck one string, but the string I can pluck is who I'm doing it for ultimately. And there's something beautifully empowering about that. And I'm going at, at, at like I said, launch teamers, because this is where I'm at with my church, and, and I feel for some of the guys and girls that move their life, and they, they got a job that's hard, and the pandemic has, like, put them online. They're, like, in this, like, dark closet in their house, like, trading stocks, and, like, I don't see other human beings, you know? And they're discouraged, all that kind of stuff. It's like, man, I, I want to speak to you if that's you. Like, man, you can have a greater motivation. You don't have to be constrained by just the, the difficulty of your circumstance. There's something about the gospel when it comes in and, and frees us to just go like, man, I, I'm working for someone who's just the perfect boss as much as this guy over here isn't, you know, and who's never abused his authority, who's never been tyrannical in his leadership over me. He's only used it to serve me and love me. And that's transformative. It gives us a proper theology of work. You know, the, the, the two ditches of work, you got the couch potato, and I hope that's none of you, okay? And then you got the workaholic. The gospel comes in and, 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 and puts us in, in the middle ground. Both the couch potato and the workaholic have a, an off view of work. The couch potato doesn't see work as good. But Christianity radically looks at work as good, okay? Before the fall, God worked. He created and he said, it's good. And part of the dominion mandate for humanity being made in the image of God is to work. Now, the fall makes it, makes it tough, right? It's the sweat of our brow, but, but work is good. The couch potato doesn't get that. And the, work, the workaholic sees, sees work as the ultimate good. So the workaholic misses it on the other, other ditch. It's not a means to just knowing God better, Right? And so I don't want us to fall into either one of these ditches. I want us to be people that work as if we're working for Christ. And I want it to change just the fundamental kind of foundational motivations, attitudes, just integrity of heart, right? Like, I, I love that. When a mother folds a load of laundry, she's working for Christ. When a financial planner invests money, <laughs> She's working for Christ. When an electrician rewires a new house, she's working for Christ. We'll just stay, we'll stay equal opportunity. Like that's what this text is saying. And it's, it's so straightforward. Like our temptation is to be like, all right, Critter, nuance it a little for me. I can't nuance it for you. Work as if you're working for Christ. That's just what it says, period. Do you believe it? Are you willing to apply it? Are you willing to have the faith to go, I'm going to live as, this, as, as if this is so tomorrow morning, Monday, not 9.50, not, I mean, not 8.53 or whatever. I, mean, I don't know when you show up for work. Just show up early, okay? Do it with a smile on your face. Be creepy, right? Be a Chick-fil-A employee, right? People like those people. Just do that at your work. It's great. It makes people smile. Say my pleasure. That'll really weird them out. We're under new management, 
and I, I want us to just—I just want us to see how the gospel works itself into just the everyday reality of your life, where you spend the most of your time and what you're doing. And look, I get it, and and it is so easy to get cynical, to complain, you know, to be like, "Are you kidding me?" Right? And there's just there's there's so much empowerment when we when we really see it for what it is. Let me jump down real quick to Ephesians five nine um, because. Paul closes out not just talking about those who are under authority, but those who are in authority, okay? Um, so he speaks actually uh, not just to bond servants and slaves, but he speaks to masters. And so he says this. He says, masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now, this is just like, again, just radical. And I want us to understand this, okay? Um, I skipped a quote earlier. That was just awesome. I actually almost said bomb.com, but I said that in a sermon a couple weeks ago. My wife, my wife chided me for it because she says, that's lame. No one says that. But what's so powerful about this passage, again, is, is one, Paul's addressing bond servants as equals. And you have to get this. Like, you got slave and master sitting next to each other in church, and the wider society says, like, bro, Use, abuse your power dynamics however you want. And what Paul's saying is, hey, the gospel in person puts you as equals. Positionally, roles you may not be, but in person puts you as equals as both people made in the image of God. Equal dignity, equal worth, and you're united, okay? And now you're serving a different master. You're under new management. Well, he tells it to the, to the, the slave master's Two, he says, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. What Paul's saying is God doesn't play favorites, right? You get that? What Paul's saying is like, hey, bro, you might be the man in your house, but you're like middle-level management and there's somebody that you're working for, no different than the people that are working for you. And so you need to treat them as if that's so. You need to treat them as if you're going to be held to account, right? So if you're in a position of leadership, if you're in a position of authority, if you have downlines, if you have people working for you, are you treating them as if you're going to give an account to Christ? Are you leveraging your authority as if you're going to give an account to Christ? To a Christ that doesn't show favoritism? Like the world shows favoritism, right? You get the tickets to the game, right? You get the extra large bonus, for Christmas. Christ doesn't show favoritism. He's going to treat you the same way. Man, that should put a, a little fear in us. It should make us think of, of, of authority as responsibility, that we have a duty to the people that we lead, that we're quote unquote over, right? Not to stomp on their heads so we can get ahead, but to go beneath them and serve them and lift them up, to use our agency, to use our power to support them. This is radical stuff. Again, this is why uh, what I love about it at first glance, it, it, you kind of go like, man, Paul, why aren't you talking about this institution of slavery and just like going at it? What he's doing is he's just kind of like, he's spreading road salt on, on the hard ice that is slavery and, and letting it just melt it away from the inside out. You tracking with that? Like he's radically reorienting master and slave relationship and going like, hey, it may be like this positionally, but personally, like you're equals. And so what Paul tells the master over the slave is, 
You need to serve your employees in the same way. So everything that's true of them needs to be true of you, okay? Plus, plus, the Lord doesn't play favorites. So watch yourself. It's like, whoa, are you kidding me? You know, there's a, there's a famous parable that, it's not actually not a parable, in Matthew 25, where Jesus is asked about the end times, and he's asked about um, his return. And he gives this, this picture of one day the Son of Man is going to come and he's going to separate the nations. Like shepherds separate sheep and goats, right? And, and so this, this, this imagery is, is the sheep are to the left, the goats are to the right, and he's going to tell, or excuse me, the sheep are to the right, the goats are to the left, and he's going to tell those on his right, the righteous, that they can come and enter his kingdom because when he was thirsty, they gave him a cup of cold water to drink, right? When he was hungry, they, they fed him. When he was cold, they clothed them. And their, their response is like, when do we see you thirsty or hungry or, or, or without clothing? He goes, what you did to the least of these, you did to me. Come, enter my kingdom. Like, sheep on the right, come on. And he tells the opposite to those on his left. Man, when I was thirsty, you, you didn't give me something to drink. When I was hungry, you didn't, you didn't feed me. When I was, when I was shivering, you, you didn't put clothes on me. Well, when did we see you do that? What you, did to the, what you didn't do to the least of these, you didn't do to me. What, what Jesus is doing there is tethering our human interaction to one another, to our interaction to God. Like, you understand how radical that is? And that's a terrifying passage of Scripture. And Paul's building on that. Paul's tethering our interaction to others in the workplace to our interaction to God. And here for masters, he's going like, watch how you treat your bondservants. Hey, bosses, employers, watch how you treat those quote unquote below you. Because you got a master in heaven you got to answer to, right? And that's a powerful, powerful check. So um, as we close out, I want you to think about it. What does it look like to be a workday Christian? What does it look like to not just be a Sunday Christian? What does it look like to not just go to church, but go be the church? And, and what would it look like if you actually worked like you were working for Christ? Because most of us are under authority. Most of us are employees. Most of us are, are, are going and, and, and doing a job. How would that transform your attitude? How would it transform your integrity? How would it transform your output? What would be different about that? Now, Again, like, I love all this video stuff, and, and I will say kudos to all of it. Live missionally. Be intentional in your workplace. Meet people. Share the gospel. This passage is talking about just your work. Like, are you doing it for the glory of God? Are you trying to advance yourself? Are you trying just to make some money? Are you trying to just make a name for yourself? Are you working like you're working for Christ? If you're a launch teamer, um, I just want to say this to you. If you did move to this city and you were like some of those embassy launch teamers that, man, you, you, you put your career maybe to the side. You, um, you heard the vision of Ernie Cass, like, hey, let the mission of God drive your future. Come move to a city and, and come build something bigger than just your 401k. Like, well done. Seriously. Like, well done. Like, I, I, I want to just clap for you. Like, you're getting it. You see it. And I really do hope that this experience is so rewarding for you. I, I think it's phenomenal what you did, you know? Um, and especially if you're in a job that, 
it, it's not really your ideal job. You're doing something you don't really want to do. And you're just, maybe you're your ropes in right now. You're exhausted. You're tired, you know, right? I, I see moms in here. I'm a parent. I'm always tired, you know? And if you're a mom that works, oh my gosh, you know, superwoman. Keep going. I hope, I hope you can just dig into the gospel and, and, and mine the resources that it gives you for what it looks like to spend the best hours of your day doing what God's put right in front of you and just to do it faithfully and know that he's pleased with you. And I feel like I, I want to speak to one other crowd in here, which is because we have these, these at, at embassy where you're on the city side, you're the, the adults, if you will. I know you're all adults, college students, but, but campus side, city side, and maybe you can't spend as much time um, doing Mercy Hill stuff as you want. And you got the job that you really wanted to get, but it's super taxing, right? And you're showing up early and, and you're, you're leaving late. And you almost feel, you feel guilty, right? That you're not doing enough. You're killing it. Keep it up. Like literally the best thing that, that you could do, the best thing that you could do for these college students in here, especially we got Cincy students in here, Bearcats, right? Rarrow? Is that what y'all say? I was like, I heard a rarrow, and I was like, there's no way. Y'all say, go bear catch a rarrow. And if y'all do, yay. But, but the best thing that you can do if you're on the city side is, man, work your job like you're working for Christ. And just do it well, because you know what? College students are going to see it. And they're going to take notice. And little by little, kind of like that road salt kind of eating away at the ice um, analogy, little by little, it's going to challenge the way they think about their future. But that's the beauty of what y'all are doing here. That's why we don't just plant campus ministries. We plant multi-generational expressions of the gospel because it is powerful when older generations, people who are a next stage of life up, the next step of maturity up, they just... They live this out. They love their wives like Christ loved the church, right? They, they parent their kids in light of the gospel. They work their jobs as if they're working for Christ. And that says a radically different thing to 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-olds who all they get told is just advance yourself, get in your career, find all your purpose, all your identity and what you do and what you produce. You're not more than what you can, what you can produce in your outcomes, and the gospel says something radically different, and they need to see you do that. So don't feel guilty for not being able to volunteer anymore. Like, work your job and do it awesome. Crush it, all right, because you got people watching you. So I want to end just with that idea, all right? Um, man, the gospel gets into every nook and cranny of who we are. And, and more than anything, it, it affects what we do with the best hours of our day, five days a week, not just Sunday. And so I'd hope, Mercy Hill, um, that after coming to church, that we could walk out of here and go be the church and that we would be transformed by the way that we work. So let me pray for us that it might be so and then we can respond to the Lord in worship. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the fact that it's so practical, so pragmatic, um, that it's not just a bunch of empty tropes or um, high level just truisms. Uh, but the gospel comes in and it challenges the core of who we are, our identity, and then works itself out into everything that we do. It works itself out in the most mundane, everyday relationships we have. And so I pray that we'd be kind of the kind of people that work as if we're working for Christ, that we'd be the kind of people that, that work as if we're under new management, that we'd have completely different 
um, just integrity in how we do what we do, um, different attitudes and different outputs and outcomes, and that you be honored by the way that, um, yeah, by the way that we spend the best days of our week, the best hours of our day, and that be transformed this city. I know the vision of Mercy Hill is, is not just to change lives, it's to change this place, change culture. And so, yeah, would you just start with us? And would, would you not stop with us? We love you and we praise you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.